Hi, this is Patty Johnson. My Be A Wavemaker podcast is a conversation on change, how to lead it, prepare for it, and thrive when work and life are full of surprises. I'll have Wavemaker guests join me and we will share ideas, tips, and strategies you can use now. We all want to build resilience and increase our confidence in ambiguity. This conversation is where we deconstruct these topics to give you real-world insights so you not only welcome change, but initiate it. I hope you'll join us. Today's conversation is about how to be a more inclusive human. And I could have talked to Mark Benton, who is my guest. I could have talked to him for another hour. Mark is the Vice President of Talent Management and Diversity for McKesson Corporation. We get into some of the stories that Mark shared of being a person of color and the impact that it had on his life and his perspectives. And then we soon transitioned into the core of the discussion around how do we become more inclusive? So please enjoy this conversation about how to be a more inclusive human. Okay. Welcome, everybody. I want to introduce my guest, someone I've known for many years, Mark Benton. If you don't know Mark, you know that you may not know that he is a self-described talent development geek. He is um, the vice president of talent management diversity with McKesson Corporation and has worked for over 26 years, Mark, which is hard to believe, has had a very successful career in the HR talent space and is really known for being both compassionate high empathy, but straight talk and has really helped so many leaders across all levels, multiple industries and geographies. And Mark, I love that you, when I asked how you self-describe yourself, you said husband, father, mm-hmm. grateful son, mm-hmm. talent development geek, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and helping others to lead with passion and purpose, which I know for a long time, that's been a real driver for you, really important to you. On my just kind of quick introduction, what have I missed? Yeah, no, you haven't missed anything. And, and you know, you called out the fact that I'm a talent <laughs> development geek. I, I can talk about coaching and talent all day long. So uh, You claim it. You claim it. Well, you've been a great executive coach in addition to all of your work at McKesson and other successful companies executive coach and a great public speaker, which I have witnessed firsthand. And I know on the topic we're going to discuss today, you have been had some really important discussions that you've led with many people on that. Also, I just want to just a little bit more setup before we dive in. And that is I have known Mark for a very long, probably almost all of those 26 years, maybe close to it. (laughs) And we have worked together and we have in almost every way imaginable as colleagues. Mark's been a client. We've been friends for a very long time. And one of the reasons this topic is not only is it so important, but I thought of Mark immediately as the perfect person is because I feel like you really lead a life of inclusiveness and acceptance yourself probably have one of the biggest circles of anyone I know. And also you have expertise in this area from organization, an organization where you lead and have responsibility for some of the diversity functions, speak on it as an expert in so many valuable experiences. When you put that all together, it was sort of like when I knew I wanted to get into this topic, you were the perfect person. So thank you. Yeah. So with that, let's dive in. So I want to talk to you about 
this topic of how to be a more inclusive human. So take me back when you first started your career. Think about this topic of inclusiveness and what that meant then versus what is your experience like today? What has changed for you? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question because if I, you know, go back, I think the first time that I really understood this whole concept or experienced this whole concept of, you know, diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. you know, equity uh, was right after I graduated from college. Uh, So I went to Baylor University Mm -hmm. in the Bear. Yep. Sickum Bears. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a uh, job. My first job was working in the student affairs department, and I was the coordinator for student involvement. And basically, that role was where I had a student organization of volunteers that would basically man an information booth. And any student could come up to the booth and, you know, ask questions about how to get involved and what things were on campus that, you know, they clubs and organizations, initiatives that they could get involved in. And so I, you know, basically was the the counselor and guide to that volunteer group. And, you know, my office was right on the other side of the booth. And what I noticed as, you know, I would sit in my office and listen to the conversations, I noticed that the white students, when they would come, they would, you know, really be confident about, you know, looking for this, I'm looking for that. You know, what about an opportunity here? And I noticed that the students you know, really seemed to feel comfortable and really engage with them. But when I noticed that students of color would walk up, they seemed to be a little more timid, uh, a little bit more, you know, not as confident. And the engagement was off. I, I could just hear it. And so to make a long story short, I started an initiative where I said, you know, I think it would be important for me to find out how are we really servicing all the students here at Baylor to help them get involved and understand where these opportunities are? And as I started to have those conversations with the volunteer students, you know, I could see that their exposure to people that were different, people that, you know, had different backgrounds, thought differently, prayed worship differently than them, that, you know, they weren't comfortable engaging. And so I really took it upon myself to start thinking about how to create more belonging. And I think back then, I didn't really know much about the concepts of diversity and inclusion, but I knew inherently that I wanted to create an environment that people felt um, safe and comfortable to be who they were And I also thought about the fact of, you know, having just graduated as a, you know, as a black student at Baylor, there were not many times that I felt excluded. There were lots of times I felt like I was the only one, the only person of color in the room. And there was many times that that happened. But just how I grew up and the environment I grew up in, an all, you know, white neighborhood, and, you know, went to, you know, all white schools and Baylor at that point in time was, you know, predominantly, you know, a, a white university. I, I just felt a little more comfortable and confident, but I could see how someone who 
didn't have that comfort would feel that way. And so that's really where it started for me. And then as my education around this space has evolved, you know, over those 26 years. (laughs) Yes. You know, I've become much more in tune as an adult as I see what's happening in our world. I still, like many of us, uh, if we're paying attention, I, I see the inequities between, you know, black and white and people of color. And I, I sense that the one thing that we're not leaned into is understanding that, you know, we all have the, the same blood pumping through our veins. You know, on the inside, we're all the same. You know, mostly we've got all the same parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. And, but on the outside, we're different. But inside, we're not that different in what we need. We need to feel belonging. We need to feel safe. We need to feel connected. We all need that. And so, you know, when I started out, like I said, after graduation, that was what my motivation was. I wasn't fully evolved on why I felt that way. I just knew it was important. But, you know, as I sit in my role today, uh, I'm, I'm keenly aware at there are many people out there that they don't feel like their voice is heard. Mark, I want to go back because you talked about how when you were growing up, you were in a largely white neighborhood. You went to Baylor, which was predominantly white. And you said, I was often, I never felt excluded, but I was often the only. Yeah. How did you feel comfortable with that? Did you ever have to educate or bring people along just as a young person? What yeah. what was that like for you? How did it get to be that way for you? Yeah. Well, real talk, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, there are distinct times that I remember uh, in my life where, you know, I was, you know, called the N-word, you know, by by little children, you know, I, I was six and they were six and they would, you know, say that. And I didn't really know what it meant. And my, my parents, they, they tell a story of one day I came home from school and I asked them, you know, mom, dad, what is an in? And, you know, it, the way they tell it, I, I don't know that I recognized it at the time, but it like it was like a gut punch. And they said that just they felt like the the air had been knocked out of them. And, you know, we always had these real conversations and they told me about what it meant and that, you know, that word, you know, the connotation behind it, the ugliness behind it. But we were a family that could take that kind of a situation. And really, and I I think you know me, Patty, you know, I can find humor at at a funeral. You know, I just, we just turn it around. And I can't describe how it became light, but my parents took the pain and they tried to instill in me more of a lightheartedness that it's someone who would call someone else out of their name or unfairly. It's their problem, not your problem. It's not who you are. So I constantly had these situations where, you know, I had to deal with that. And I think just over time, I really did 
take in. It's their problem, not my problem. Um, doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Doesn't mean it wasn't disappointing. There were times, Patty, when I had, you know, I was with my white friends. We would have fun and something would slip. They would say, you know, some type of racial slur or make a comment. And sometimes, I, you know, I remember a couple of times I, we were in the car. I was sitting in the back seat and something would slip and they would say something and never even know or just click that I was in the back seat of the car. And those times really, uh, the only word that comes to mind right now for me is it fortified me that I could be the smartest, the kindest, the nicest, but still people see me differently. And sometimes they're not even conscious you know, of, of that, the difference that they see or the, the bias that they have. And as a Black person in America, and we know this happens across the globe, but as a Black person in America, you know, or even a person of color, your experience walking around in this country is very different than, you know, someone who, you know, is not a person of color or Black. And I just, have come to that conclusion that this is the flawed world we work and live in. And it's up to me to call it out when I see it. It's up to me to be better and demonstrate what being curious and embracing of difference looks like. And it sounds like it made a huge difference for you that you had I'll use the word, you know, mentors and your parents who helped you sort of have the the strength to work your way through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Mm-hmm. No, no. I, I just was going to say, you know, it's it's interesting because there are there's probably not a day or a week or a month that doesn't go by that, you know, Something that somebody said to me that was meant to be hateful and ugly, it doesn't, that doesn't pass through my memory, you know? And I think there was times when it used to make me sad, but now it just, it fuels me in a positive way to continue to embrace people, show kindness, be gracious, uh, and, and allow people to be and I'll use the term maybe sometimes ignorant to that words hurt and that beliefs that are not grounded in grace and truth hurt. And that, uh, again, on the inside, you know, we're all the same. It's the outside right. that is the spice of life. And I think we're starting to get into some of these discussions about, you know, how much has changed, obviously, since you're talking about your experience at Baylor, I'd hope things have changed I'm really curious if you think about just this past year, what that's been like and with the killing of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter protests, and it, it felt like a sea change in conversations. And I know I called several of my Black friends, you're one of them, to mm-hmm. say, what what can I do differently? What can I, how can I be better? How, 
what, yeah. can, what should I be thinking about and doing? And I can remember, you know, Charlotte and Trey, Charlotte, I know when I called her, Charlotte said, I've had a couple of these conversations, but I think it's important I take the time to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So I think in her mind, not to put words in her mouth, but I think she was like, I'm going to take a little time to share my experience and, and use this as a teaching moment. And I'm curious, I know you're on panels. We talked mm-hmm. about that at the time. And, and hearing those stories, very impactful. How has that changed? What's the impact been of that this past year for, for people who are trying to back to tie this back to change and trying to be more inclusive? What has that done? Yeah. You know, Patty, honestly, I don't know what it's done. I hope that it has caused people to be more aware of difference around them, that people are different, that people are living different experiences, that we all don't have this common way that we live or think or work, you know, based on your heritage, your background, that our experience is different. And and I hope that it's allowed people to see that difference. I hope that it's allowed people that are white to believe that there is a difference, that that you are treated differently. You know, I don't know the degree of change, the George Floyd experience and the other deaths and that have happened before. And unfortunately, the ones that could happen after, I don't know if it really will make people behave and act differently. Um, I was puzzled as to why it was the George Floyd incident that sparked this curiosity and it, it caused people to reach out and be more sensitive and to ask. And, and, you know, I don't know. I, I'm still trying to process it. I wonder. Yes. And I, I mean, I wonder we're such a visual society and the video full length was so horrifying that it felt like that could have been one of the reasons. I don't know, but it did seem to take things to the next level yeah. in terms of awareness, you know? Do you but, feel that? You know, but Patty, I I think I'm still trying to process. I get it. You know, it was yeah. the, the visual of it, mm-hmm. but but there were other videos yes. and other visual things mm-hmm. that, you know, people have recorded, but it, it took this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm still curious about it because- I just, I wondered why. And, you know, I I don't want to speak for every Black person, um, Mm -hmm. and I can't do that. But I can speak for me and those, you know, family members and and Black people around me. It caused us to wonder, first of all, why now? And we're glad, but it, it still felt... A little, almost a little too late, Patty. Yeah. It's like, where have you been? Yeah. Yeah. 
it's like, you know, a friend um, that, you know, you, you claim to be close, right? And you're going through a hard time and they're just kind of rocking along and, oh yeah, that's sad. And then you're really broke down. And then, you know, the friend comes along and is like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You've been going through all this. Like, well, when did this start? And you're like, it's been happening for a long time. Why now? Why now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you feel that given that you're still, it sounds like you still aren't sure yet what the impact of that is going to be. And that the fact that it, it felt like a late reaction to you and there was all kind of, there was so much conversation, at least in organizations, but when you think about that right now, I won't ask you to predict the future, but I guess I would ask you to say, in terms of back to our topic here and change in individual behavior, have you seen any change in individual behavior? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you where I am right now. Yep. The way that I think people are behaving now, I, I do sense a, a little more a well openness and, and welcoming. Like it's it's little things. Like when I would go to the grocery store, you know, and, and it wasn't an electric door or something, you know, I have to hold the door open or something. You know, I sense people being a little kinder and gentler to one another. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, we're also living in the midst of a pandemic and sometimes we're just so craving for human interaction and, you know, connectivity that that's causing people to lean in a bit more. I I think if I have to predict what I think the events of this past summer and, you know, specifically events like George Floyd and others, what I hope happens is it's the whole concept of, you know, the glass ceiling, right? You know, women talk about the glass ceiling, people of color talk about the glass ceiling. And and I um remember, you know, it was actually, I guess, Hillary Clinton, you know, when she, you know, made that comment when, you know, she wasn't successful in her bid. She said, you know, we may not have broken it, but there's lots of cracks in it. And, you know, maybe she's paid, paved the way, you know, uh, for others. Maybe these situations have caused enough cracks in that glass ceiling of racism in this country that maybe they'll be, we're closer to it ultimately shattering. Not that it goes away, but we get over ourselves and we really start trying to relate to each other as humans as opposed to the color of our skin. That's what I'm hopeful. I still live in a world where I'm nervous when my two beautiful black sons are out late. And, you know, I expect them to be home at a certain time and I haven't heard from them. You know, I still live in a world, Patty, where, um, you know, after the the situation between the white woman and her dog and the black man in the park and, you know, uh, the, the gentleman who, you know, lived in the apartment complex, but he didn't happen to have his key. And so he was standing out waiting and someone, you know, called on him. In that world, when I go for a walk or when I go run, I make sure I have my driver's license in my pocket. 
so that if someone stops me in my own neighborhood, I can pull out my driver's license and say, I just live three streets over. I live in that world still. And so I think the reason why you don't hear a lot of optimism in my voice is because for me and many others, that's our reality still. And that reality is not going to change overnight, regardless Mm -hmm. of all the conversation. Mm -mm. Right. Mm -mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Systemic. Yeah. Well, that got kind of heavy, didn't it? It got truthful. It got real. It got real. And I know, yeah. and I think I'm thinking about, it's interesting because both of us doing the kind of work that we do, and especially, especially for you, you know, every organization, every leader out there is, there is so much conversation about equity, about mm-hmm. inclusion. And I'm wondering, connecting this back to this, you know, your comments about, you know, the day-to-day reality probably is, hasn't changed that much. I'm curious do you feel that there is, in organizations, do you see leaders moving the needle at least in terms of defining what do we need to do differently? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that changing at all? Do you feel like yeah. the conversation's different than what it yeah. was before? Yeah. Now, I will tell you, you know, in, in the work that I do, being a person that focuses on talent and identifying talent, how we develop talent, how we, you know, think about talent for the future. I have seen within my own organization, huge strides around bringing in more people of color at the highest levels in the organization um, so that people lower and junior in the organization, they see someone in the C-suite Um, or close to it that looks like them, that has an experience like them. And that's so important. Huge difference. Yeah. And and I think when that phenomenon is happening in in our organizations where we work, then we want to start also seeing that happen in the neighborhoods where we live and the countries that we live in and then the planet that we're on. But I think like that ripple or those cracks it's just going to take a lot of us continuing to, you know, keep knocking at it in order for it to ultimately crack. But yeah, I have been very encouraged and I can only speak to, you know, the organization where I work at McKesson. We have um, a CEO um, and Brian Tyler and a leadership team that are committed to inclusion. Um, And they're not just, It's not lip service. And the reason why I know it's not lip service is because of the intentionality week after week, month over month, where they set the expectation for what an inclusive environment looks like, what an inclusive human looks like. And I think it's not tied to, there's a business reason. It's tied really to it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so that that makes me hopeful. And I do see change happening there. Right. It it does seem like the the level of priority a, a totally different conversation. I mean it used to be as you know 5 years ago we were all talking about, you know, how many, you know, your hiring mm-hmm. metrics and, mm-hmm. and it just feels like, you know, inclusion is is taken over that a little bit. I want to talk a bit about 
the history of, I say short history, a lot of organizations have really spent a lot of energy on unconscious bias. You and I have never talked about this, but, you know, and it's kind of like, if you're somebody that wants to change, can you train your way to inclusivity? And I know, you know, Christy Erickson, Christy has always said, you know, if it's unconscious bias, you can't go to a training program. If it's unconscious, you don't really know you have it. You can't, like those two things are in conflict. And I'm curious, is that valuable? If you are someone who wants to change or a leader who wants your help your team change, what is your view on, it seems like unconscious bias training is everywhere. Talk about that a minute. You know, there are, you know, studies and thinking that if companies lean into unconscious bias, it actually creates more bias. It amplifies it, right? Mm -hmm. Here's my take. I think it's important to do something, right? It's important to do something. And I think it's not just one size won't fit all. So I think you do unconscious bias training and you help people to understand what bias is and that we all have it. We all have it. And, you know, my bias may not be, you know, around race. Maybe it is, you know, my bias could be around, you know, something else, but we all have a bias. We do. And it's unconscious. And so what we have to do is bring it to a conscious level. And I was listening to, um, I can't remember where it was from, but I was listening to someone talk about this. And they said, in order for you know us to get over our bias that's unconscious, we have to make it conscious. So it's almost like truth talking. I have this bias. I have this belief. You know, I can't even tell you exactly where it came from. And it might not be true, but I have this bias. And then if someone is sharing their bias, then what we do is we receive them with grace and we receive them with openness and we don't judge. And we say, well, why do you have that bias? What is it founded on? And you start the dialogue. And so I think just simply having unconscious bias training, you know, don't say this, don't do that. This is what bias is. This is what it looks like. This is why it's bad. That's one thing, but you've got to take it to a whole nother level and call it, you know, that truth, give that truth power and give it legs and talk about it and be curious. Well, why do you have that bias? And I think that's what's going to take us to the next level instead of just the switch that we flip to do this training. We've got to make it okay to call it out, to be vulnerable about it. We've got to teach people that when they hear or see a bias, that they are gracious and allow it to go out. And then we get into a healthy, respectful dialogue around what it is, you know? And I guess with all change, individual change, behavior change, it starts with self-awareness. Where am I? And I I think what you're saying is that can be the first step in change, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Patty, you know, if you want to give yourself, I think the most valuable gift, give yourself the gift of self-awareness. I think that when we can step back and we can just realize I might not be right, 
you know, in my thinking, or I, I might not be founded. I, I don't know why I think this or say, say this or do this. It might not be right. If we question it and allow ourselves and reserve the right to get better and smarter, then that's, I think, where our journey should be. Yes. And on many topics, right? We could, we could certainly talk about that. I want to get to, uh, give me some examples of people that you've witnessed or behaviors that you've seen where of inclusiveness, if someone wants to get better, grow in this area, one thing you just mentioned is self-awareness, but do you have any examples or stories where you've seen people really change, grow in this area that come to mind? Hmm. Well, how does it look like well, yeah. someone who is modeling inclusiveness? Yeah. What are they doing? I guess yeah. is the way to ask it. Yeah, people that I have seen um, that model inclusive behavior—they're doing a couple of things. They're doing it consistently, and they're doing it intentionally. You know, and and not to. <laughs> Do a shameless plug here, but <laughs> oh, please know, go. <laughs> one of the ways that you know I've started really talking uh, about this is through a framework that you know I've been building, and I've even talked to you about it a little bit, and that's this framework of you know, leading on purpose. And one of the core things about leading on purpose is a leader that is inclusive. What they do is they understand first that you have to have good trust with people. You know, you have to, people that I've seen that are inclusive, they are masters at knowing how to build authentic and real trust. They know what it looks like when it's broken. They're self-aware of their own actions when it's broken. And then um, they know how to repair it. You know, I, I'm a big Coveyite and, you know, Stephen M. R. Covey has a great, great quote that I have just quoted for years now in this training that I love called Speed of Trust. And he says, you can't talk your way into trust. You have to behave your way into trust. And, and so I think that's a foundational element of someone who is trying to be inclusive. You, you've got to be seen as someone that um, is worthy of my trust for me to be vulnerable with you. The other thing that I've seen is empathy. I might not have walked in your shoes. I, I might not have any clue about how even to conceive what it's like to live in your shoes, but I will be curious and I will listen and I will acknowledge what I don't know. I'll acknowledge how you feel and that those feelings are real. And I will labor with you in what frustrates you. And while I'm doing that, demonstrating that empathy, I'm demonstrating that I can be trusted with what you share with me. So you'll share more of who you are and I'll share more of who I am. And then a third, you know, if we're focused on behaving and we're building, you know, this, this trust and we're demonstrating empathy. The third thing is we're always coming from a place of service. You know, I think inclusive people are always not about them, not about, you know, what they're going to get out of it, but they're about you. So if, you know, you have, you know, let's, let's go back real quickly to the whole George Floyd 
If you're reaching out because you want to learn more, you want to understand, I have missed something here as your white friend. I don't think I saw this. I didn't even know or realize. But now it's it's been brought to my attention and I want to make myself available to understand how you see it. I'm not going to explain it away. I'm not going to try and make it about me and, and oh, you know, my, my sadness about this. I'm just going to listen and I'm going to acknowledge how you feel and how you've experienced it. And I think those kinds of behaviors and showing up that way will allow these barriers to come down and we can talk, just have real talk around our differences. And those differences are okay. Our bias is okay. And, and I can continue to learn and get better. Is that helpful? Does that answer your question? It does. And I hear a few things in there. One is we talked about earlier is self-awareness. And the second yeah. A lot about listening and and being willing to recognize you don't know everything. I, your experience is different than mine, but I can learn from you. And I think the key thing is is in yeah. translating that into some action. I might do something differently now that I better understand. Yeah, yeah. you know. And it's funny as a, I would never begin to equate that what we're we've been talking about here. But I can think back to my days at Accenture and being mm-hmm. a woman, often the only woman in the room, or not many, mm-hmm. and maybe the only working mom mm-hmm. leader there, yeah. and feeling, you know. And yes. I can remember talk about actions people took, incl- inclusive people. I yeah. cannot tell you how many examples of more senior women who said, "Why don't you? You need to come be on this committee." When I was too yes. really too young to have been on. It didn't have all the experience, mm-hmm. but was pulled on. Yeah. Or somebody who said, oh, while well, you're in town, I'm going to arrange lunch for you to meet this other person. And I was so naive at the time. I thought, yeah. aren't they nice? They're just being so yeah. nice to me. What I now see is they were being inclusive. They were sending me, yeah. helping me through, you know, like yeah. cr- helping me create a circle. Yeah. Patty, and, and, you know they, what I mean? Yeah, they were... They were demonstrating, they were establishing trust with you, right? They, they understood that you had a need. They were empathizing with, hey, where you are, I see it. And let me be of service to help connect you, you know, here or connect you there. And I, I want to make a quick point. We've been talking about, you know, white, black, people yes. of color, but this whole inclusiveness It's so, it is broader. And I love the fact that you talked about, you know, the working mother who, you know, is working hard and, you know, she's the woman and there's a team of men and and the men are not inclusive, you know, and, and, you know, they regulate, you know, their, you know, female counterpart to a certain role or her voice is not heard. You know, that is another horrific example of non-inclusive behavior. And so that's important. But I think all the things we talked about, you know, as it relates to, we were talking about color and I was talking about that. It relates to gender. For sure. You know, being inclusive and, you know, orientation and, you know, lifestyle, all these things we need to embrace difference as a strength. 
you know, I agree. Agree. And I think, I think I'm glad you brought that point up because I think inclusiveness is much broader than color or even gender. I mean, as we, and so I hope everything we've talked about is very translatable. And I heard things like, you know, building trust and being of service, listening, recognizing that you don't have all of the answers. You, mm-hmm. you might learn more and change your mind that mm-hmm. your experience is different than mine. And mm. that's, that means we're going to come at it different. Also self-awareness. We talked about a lot of things. Yeah. I know in the spirit of time, the sadly, I can keep talking about this with you for another <laughs> hour. Um, in the spirit of time, yeah. I want to ask you just any other advice you have for someone who really wants to be more inclusive on any spectrum, whether it's, you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter just in terms of being more inclusive of people different than myself. Yeah. yeah. Anything else that you would say that you haven't touched on in terms of advice? Yeah. You know, I think one way that you can easily do it, you know, if you're trying to figure out is what television shows do you watch? You know, are they all the same? Or do you use, you know, your time watching TV to watch shows and um, programming that might educate you? And, and help you to see and, and think about a situation differently. You know, I, I also think it's important, and I've always challenged myself to do this, who's in my friendship circle? People that I go to and call and want to spend time with, are they all the same or are they different? And, you know, getting out of that comfort zone to um, have difference in your life and being inclusive of difference um, and variety and uniqueness, that's another way that I, I think it's really important. Um, to yes. to be an inclusive person. It, it's things that I've personally done just to keep myself on my toes. <laughs> and to tie it back to your very early stories of when you were much younger is yeah. you didn't let those differences create dissonance. It was yeah. because if you're going to be around and engage with people with different perspectives and different experiences, you have to feel comfortable yeah. knowing that their perspectives are not mm-hmm. going to be the same as you. Patty, I'll, I'll say you what you just sparked in me is I don't know that I I ever tried to play it safe, right? I, I always wanted to be out there and I was curious <laughs> and, you know, I was ready, you know, for the challenge and the opportunity. I've, I've hated over this past year that I, I can't travel because I love to go to all kinds of places and experience all kinds of different things. And right. just that mentality, being open. You can, uh, yes. If you don't know Mark, Mark can light up the room and uh, that's just a natural, uh, something natural that you have. So, okay. We're going to finish this conversation with two rapid fire, simple questions I ask everybody. First one, what do you know now that you wish you had known then? That this whole concept of being more inclusive, uh, it's difficult. It's, it's not something that we can solve quickly. It, it takes focus and it takes work and it takes it, us being very intentional. Mm-hmm. And time, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second one. What are you watching, reading, <laughs> or listening that makes you think? Yeah. Well, um, since I can't travel, I find myself watching a lot of these kind of docu-entertainment shows. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I'm watching Men in Kilts. Really? Uh, stars. Yeah. You know, it's uh, 
I can't think of their names, but it's the two actors from that series Outlander. And they're just traveling around Scotland and, and getting close to their culture. And it's, it's funny and they have a fun camaraderie. I watch um, on the Smithsonian Channel, I think is what it is, um, Aerial America, where it you know, explores different you know, states and mm-hmm. it talks about the different states. So, um, you know, that's one thing I've, I've been watching. Um, we just uh, finished um, season six of um, Schitt's Creek. We're, we're I was going to say, I knew you were going to mention Schitt's Creek. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I, I almost like, I'm surprised it wasn't first, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I had to be respectable. I, I didn't want to stop. Oh, yeah. You had <laughs> to like stuff. show, you know, the other yeah. side, but now we're yeah. getting down to the real stuff here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Well, and I think uh, it must have been Tammy Pinkston who I interviewed earlier, and she was saying, Are you kidding? I think all day long. Sometimes I just want to watch something that's not going to make me think. I want to watch something that's just going to make me laugh. And um, so it seems like Shit's Creek does it. Mark. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And and again, I could have talked to you for another hour, but I will be respectful and we will end this topic on how to be a more inclusive human. And I hope this makes you all think, gives you ideas, spurs conversation, research, and so on. And Mark, I can't thank you enough. So we will continue the conversation next time, right? Yeah. Thank you, Patty. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today for Be A Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.